0: If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go to uh, the New Testament book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts 9 this morning, and as we sang about this morning, and those of you who have been coming to faith um, uh, over the past year, uh, you know that we're in the middle of this sermon series called Blessed to be a Blessing. And in many ways, we could have called this sermon series Gifted uh, to Give. And the idea, of course, that God has given or blessed each one of us uh, in many ways, uh, and, and also some specific ways. But God hasn't just blessed you um, so that you can, for your own personal edification, just to enjoy your blessings, but God has blessed you uniquely and specifically so that you can share, that you can give um, uh, those gifts away to others. Uh, and there is blessing when we do that uh, for others. And so we've been on this journey, this, uh, this journey of discovery, learning about our gifts and then challenging one another uh, to really grow in our gifts. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but I haven't arrived uh, in uh, kind of uh, growing in my gifts. I've still got work to, work to do. Um, and so we're going through each one of these gifts, looking at people from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, if you can go ahead and put that wheel up there. There we go, and those are the different gifts. And today we're gonna look at the gift of entrepreneurial gifts. And when we think about entrepreneurs, we think of people like maybe Bill Gates, uh, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk. I mean, those are the people um, that look around and they're like, ooh, I wonder if this could happen. Sometimes we look at entrepreneurs and we think, ah, oh, they're kind of dreamers. They've got their head in the clouds. They're, they're coming up with uh, new ideas. But entrepreneurs uh, are these people that are just, their minds are always going. They're always working. And they're looking into the future and they're asking themselves, gosh, I wonder if this could happen. I wonder if this might be, uh, or this could be in the future. They're always chasing after potential. They look around and they see things that many of us don't see. They see the potential in you, in me, in the world. And they're, they, just, they can see it. And so they, just, they go on this journey of risk. And that this is who entrepreneurs are. They're constantly adjusting, constantly looking at the circumstances, pushing ahead, and they just dare all of us to go, go, go. And if you lean into this gift of entrepreneurship... Um, you inspire other people. If this is your gift and you're good at it and you've really grown in it, people are gonna look at you and go, oh, I just like to hang out with that person because they, they inspire me, they encourage me. And oftentimes entrepreneurs, they are shaping the future, shaping the future even for generations. All right, so if you've got your Bibles open uh, to the book of Acts, uh, I'm gonna invite us to pray and uh, just come before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that on this day as we continue on this journey of Scripture study, Scripture reading, Scripture reflection, that God, you would meet us in this time. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, one of the things I love about Mother's Day is it gives uh, me and each one of us to just kind of pause a little bit and reflect on... mothers, both our own mothers and the ways in which we have been shaped by significant women in our lives. And, and I realize that uh, for some of us, um, you don't have a, a biological mother in your life, and, and maybe even your uh, relationship with your own mother is a little bit strained. And so I know today can be a, a, a little bit mixed bag, I guess, if you will, as it relates to what it means to celebrate mothers. But I just want to take a few moments as I'm thinking about uh, my own wife and the ways in which um, she has been a mother to our kids. And one of the things that I just love to do is reflect on the birth of each one of our kids and what a joy uh, that was. And uh, if you know, if you've been a part of that, you know uh, exactly what I'm talking about. You remember all the details. You Remember all the details of it, and. One of the unique things about our family is that each of our kids uh, was born in a different country. And so the circumstances were very, very different. And yet there's a common thread that goes through the birth of all four of our kids. Now, you might look at the picture and go, well, yeah, Zoe was, you know, obviously uh, born in a different country. And, And so she was born in Ethiopia. And the thing about uh, being born in Ethiopia is we don't speak African uh, Amharic or Oromo or any of the Ethiopian languages. And so there was this um, communication disconnect uh, that went on in the process of adopting uh, Zoe uh, from Ethiopia. Twelve years earlier, uh, we, uh, my wife gave birth to our daughter, Michaela. And Michaela was born in Thailand And I'll never forget going, driving our motorcycle in the middle of the night to the local Thai hospital. And there was lots of miscommunication between us and the medical staff there. And they were kind of freaked out to see these white people show up at a hospital in the middle of the night. So there was the miscommunication there. Now, Logan, he was actually born in Cameroon. And I know he doesn't look very Cameroonian, um, but uh, he he was uh, born in Cameroon. And the communication there was, my wife and I had been living in Cameroon for a bit of time, uh, and our French was horrible. And so as we showed up this time uh, at the hospital in Yaoundé, Cameroon, the the Cameroonian doctors, there was just lots and lots of uh, disconnect by way of communication. So when our other son, Q, was born and we knew we were living in the United States, uh, we thought, oh, this is going to be good. There's not going to be any kind of communication snafus here. We're just going to be able to roll in and do a normal uh, birthing uh, for for Q. And so, um, you know, the time came. My wife went into labor. We're living in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And we drive down to this really nice hospital, and uh, we we check in, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, a doctor that speaks English, no miscommunication. And we check in, and everything's really, really good. And yep, the doctor's ready to go, the medical staff, everybody speaks English, it's going to be good. And then we learn that my wife's doctor, who's going to deliver Q, looks like Richard Gere. And when he walks into the room, my wife goes silent. (laughs) It was one of the most awkward birthing situations you can ever imagine. You know, I think I could pass out the microphone and we could all share stories of how uh, each, maybe you moms, uh, your kids came into the world, or dads like me, you could say, ah, oh, I remember what it was like, or uh, maybe you were a part of uh, someone's uh, birth story. And uh, it, it's just really fun uh, to think about uh, these special days of when uh, these young people were born an interesting thing of course about having kids having children is what you discover is well their birthday was unique and special as they continue to grow up each one of them is also unique and special they're all different and it's really interesting to marvel at how these kids could grow up in the same house maybe with the same parents with the same circumstances and yet they are so different am i right yeah, I mean, just when you think you've kind of got it figured out what it means uh, to raise one kid, like you could write the parenting book, right? And then you have another kid and it's like, oh, I know nothing about parenting. And then the next one comes and you're just like, oh, I, and, and so it's just this constant process of learning and growing and changing and shifting over and over and over for each one of their unique personalities. And I think what moms really kind of ties them together is they are like entrepreneurs. They've got this vision, this dream for their children. They want what's better for their kids. And they will do whatever it takes. They will sacrifice whatever it takes so that future generations, the future generation, can, they can just live into their dream. And every mom will tell you she has got a dream uh, for her child. And so as you're thinking about maybe your own mom this morning, maybe biological, maybe adopted, maybe a woman who's been a mother-like figure for you, a woman who has poured into you, I want you to think about that person and think about the, the, the per, that person and the person of Tabitha who we're going to talk about this morning. And you might be thinking to yourself, who is Tabitha? In fact, I was talking to my dad this past week uh, and he's been following, my folks have been following along online. And he said, so who are you going to preach on this week? And I said, Tabitha, you know who that is? He's like, uh, is that a cat? I'm like, no, dad, that's a tabby, I think. Uh, I'm not preaching on a cat. But in all fairness to my parents, a couple weeks ago, I did preach on a donkey, right? So, I mean... You know, one of the reasons why I love Tabitha is she's not a famous woman. She's not somebody that we're like, oh, Tabitha, she's the best. She's awesome. She's super famous in the Bible. She's actually a relatively obscure woman that we find in the New Testament. And so we're going to look at her story this morning and just consider how God has gifted her as an entrepreneur to serve in the church to impact future generations. So Acts 9, uh, beginning with verse 36, goes like this. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. So Tabitha is a Hebrew name. Dorcas is the Greek name. And in English, if we were to translate both of those words, it literally means gazelle an animal that is beautiful that is graceful as you think about a gazelle out on the prairie or through the woods it's just like man they can just really they're beautiful and they're graceful and you just kind of get mesmerized by them but of course a gazelle is also very active and we don't know why Tabitha Dorcas's mom called her gazelle. Maybe she saw a gazelle on that day, or maybe when she was holding baby Tabitha, she's like, oh, this child is so beautiful, but she's really, really busy. I'm going to call her gazelle. And so this is what's going on in the story and the, 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 the meaning behind her name. And it says she was a disciple. And we make a distinction here between a disciple in a Christian. When we think about disciples, and I've got an image here for you, a disciple is a gazelle in action, moving all the time. And we live in a society in a day and time where many people identify themselves as Christians. Now, a, a, a disciple is a Christian for sure, but a disciple is someone who not just believes in Jesus, but actually acts on it. I might even say that a a Christian is an adjective. It's a descriptor, or maybe someone says, I'm a Christian, it's what I believe, it's what I think. But a disciple would say, I'm going to act on that belief, and it's more like an adverb. It's a descriptor of how a person follows after Jesus. They don't just um, think about and believe in Jesus, but they actually live their lives. The brother of Jesus, James, said it this way, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. James says, don't just believe in Jesus, don't just think about Jesus, but live your life in a very active way because you just believe in Jesus, you are going to deceive yourself in terms of what it means to follow after him and to be a follower of Jesus. And then we think about at the very end when Jesus was giving his great commission and his, his marching orders to the disciples, he says, go and make disciples. Jesus never said, go and make Christians. He never said that. Go and teach people about Jesus so they can just think about me, so they can just um, believe in me. He says, no, make disciples, people who are active followers of me uh, over and over. And so those of you who've been around faith, you know that uh, this is part of our mission statement. We are all about uh, becoming disciples ourselves, and then looking around in the congregation, in our community, and in the world, and making disciples of other people. And so there's lots of activity and action that goes on here. We are uh, growing disciples who grow disciples. Uh, Verse 37. About that time, Tabitha became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. And so here's this woman, this entrepreneur, that we soon learn about who she is. She's just kind of going on about life, and she gets sick, and she dies. Somebody says, hey, somebody go get Peter, the apostle Peter. He'll do something. So somebody goes and gets Peter, brings him over to the place, to Joppa, where Tabitha is. And he shows up, and all of a sudden, there's people crying and upset everywhere. And it says, the widows stood around him. And as we think about widows today, they're very different than widows in ancient times. In Jesus' day, to be a widow, of course, meant that your husband, your spouse had died. But in ancient times, they didn't have social security. They didn't have the kind of uh, social net that we have today. They didn't have all the pieces in place. And so to be a widow in ancient times, because women couldn't own property, meant that you were in poverty and that you were a person who didn't have much power. And these were really people uh, who the church was looking to protect and look toward their needs. And so we don't know whether Tabitha was a, 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 a widow. We don't know whether she was married. We don't know much about her. But what we do know is she cared about people. She cared about people who were vulnerable in their society. And so these widows, they're showing uh, Peter um, the robes and outer clothing that Dorcas had made while she had been with them. So Tabitha, when she was alive, she looked around at the needs around her. She saw these women, these poor women who didn't have much at, at, at every level. And she just leaned into those women, and she served them. So she helped um, uh, and and reached out to the poor at all times. And she didn't do this because uh, she was looking to make a, a career or make a job or even to make money. She did it because she cared about these women. And so she sprung into action. Remember, she's a gazelle. And she got to work providing and caring for, and sewing, and knitting. And as I think about Tabitha as an entrepreneur, I think about all the work that goes into being an entrepreneur. I think she would, she would find a woman, and she would you know, learn about that woman, and that woman who was, was a widow, and, and, and hear their story, first listen to their story. And then she would learn about you know, how she could bring dignity into their lives. And then she would maybe go order some fabric, And then she would make measurements on one of the widows. And then she would cut the fabric. And then she would sew the fabric. And then she would readjust the fabric so it would fit each woman in just a perfect way. So that these were not just clothes. But this is a way of bringing dignity and honor to these women. What Tabitha did, it served a greater purpose beyond just the cloth and and the needles and the sewing. It was all about bringing dignity and love and care for other people. So I want to back up as we're kind of just camping out on this idea of an entrepreneur this morning. And I want to lift up this this definition from the book uh, that we uh, have been reading through. And this is what uh, the writer, how they describe uh, an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur, uh, someone with entrepreneurial gifts, helps you identify new opportunities set goals and design strategies to achieve them let me say it read that again entrepreneurial gifts help you to identify new opportunities set goals and define and design strategies to help achieve them and as i was reading that i'm like well that's what a mom does right I think we could just kind of take this line of of entrepreneurial gifts, we could strike it out and we could put moms right there. So I want you to think about your moms. Moms help you identify new opportunities. This is what a good mom does. As we go through life as we're growing up, we might be looking down and your mom might look at you and go, hey, look out. Look out at the landscape. Look out at the horizon. See what's going on in the world. And if your mom did that, she gave you a gift to kind of see the reality, see the potential of what's going on in the world. So moms help us to identify new opportunities. Moms help you identify opportunities and set goals. What every good mom does is she doesn't just help you uh, as you're growing up to kind of see out there, but she says, hey, let's set some goals. Let's do something about this, because there's problems in the world. And so moms are going to look at their kids, and they're going to say, I want you to do something about it. Moms challenge their kids to go and, and just consider ways in which they could make the world a better place, to improve the world. So moms help you identify your new opportunities, set goals, and design strategies to achieve them. Design strategies to achieve them. So moms don't just say, hey, look up, see the things that are out there and set goals, because if you just did that, it would be woefully inadequate, right? Then you would just be like a philosopher. But moms say, oh no, let's do something about it. So let's break it down step by step, bit by bit. And I know some of you moms have been helping your kids uh, get through school, get through college, get through graduation. I know that's why some of you are here this morning, because it's just been, you know, every step of the way, looking at your child going, okay, this is the goal, reminding them of the goal. Let's break it down. Freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, you know, whatever it might be. And all along the way, your moms are those cheerleaders, those people that believe in you. You can do it, right? I think about my own mom. She, she and I regularly talk on the phone. She might be tuning in this morning. And sometimes when she's, um, you know, watch my sermon, she'll say to me, Brian, you're such a good preacher. Thanks, mom. I, she's not a critic. I mean, I could preach the worst sermon ever. My mom would be like... Brian, you are such a good preacher. And that's just what moms do, right? Is they just encourage you and love you. And they're willing to look beyond. And they're our biggest champions and our biggest coaches. And this is exactly who Tabitha was through what she did as an entrepreneur. Because entrepreneurs always inspire. They always invite us to look beyond ourselves, to look into the future and consider what could be. And this was the legacy of Tabitha, and now here she is dead in this room. Uh, verse 40 Peter sent all the widows out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the other believers. Especially the widows I love that that is in the story here especially the widows, and presented them, presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. So here's this woman, this entrepreneur, who was doing what she did, inspiring people so that when she dies, people are sad, they're grieving, and they're to the point of somebody go get Peter. Somebody's got to do something, and they're upset, they call Peter, he comes in, he prays over, her. He says, "Tabitha, get up." And he brings her back to life through his prayers. Now I think this is a really uh, key part of the story, because if Tabitha was just Tabitha without ever being raised from the dead, I don't think uh, she would make it into the Bible. Because the point of Tabitha's life is not her, her entrepreneurial skills. The point of Tabitha's life is not what even she has done to help the poor. The point of Tabitha's life is that God has brought her back to life. I mean, this is the, who, who's the hero in the story? It's not Peter and it's not Tabitha. The hero of the story here is God, the very one whose name is not even spoken, but we know that Peter prayed, and in that prayer, she was brought back to life. And so we celebrate God's miraculous movement uh, in this story. And as we read this story, it's not about Tabitha, but it's always so that future generations may know, so that future generations uh, might be inspired. Now, Tabitha had a part to play for sure. She understood her gift, and she used her gift. It doesn't say she just, you know, sewed things for herself. She did it to help other people. So she had a role to play, and she was very faithful in using her gifts uh, to serve others. And I think in many ways, this is the same invitation for you and for me. Is At the end of the day, God is always the hero. God is always the one who brings the dead back to life. And if that's not part of our testimony, we might as well all go home. We can have all the gifts in the world. But what's most important for us to understand is that God is the author of our lives. He is the sustainer of our lives. He is the one that, while we are dead in our sins, brings us back to life. And that becomes our witness. That becomes our testimony. And it says that because of her testimony, people all over believed in the Lord. And so like Tabitha, I think we are also called to dream big and to be faithful faithful in the gifts that God has given uh, each one of us. So I want to kind of, you know, what what does this have to do with us? And how do we live this out? Many of you know that uh, Faith Lutheran Church started about six years ago. And very quickly, uh, we felt God was leading us to be all about making disciples. In fact, the first sermon series uh, here was uh, about discipleship. We called it the cost of discipleship. So very early on, we know we knew that we were going to be a congregation that was about discipleship, not just believing in Jesus, but acting uh, on this. And so we were very, very clear in that. But then we said, okay, now what's our vision? What is God calling us to do beyond making disciples? Well, about 18 months later, God gave us the leadership of the congregation a vision to plant churches. And none of us had ever done it before other than being a part of this church plant here. And I'm not going to lie, it was pretty messy. But it wasn't just this vision of planting churches God gave us a vision to plant 1,000 churches over the next 40 years. And if you were here uh, back uh, that time, you're like, you, you remember that vision. And, and we were all like, what in the world? How do we do that? And people would ask me, okay, great, Brian, plant 1,000 churches. How are you going to do it? And I was just like, I have no idea. I mean, God just has given us this vision to plant churches, to plant 1,000 churches over the next 40 years. We had no idea how to do it. So a few months later, I'm at a gathering with some Lutheran pastors. And I was excited to be a part of this Lutheran pastor group. There were about 20 of us in a room. and We were doing introductions, and I was new to the group. And I said, hey, I'm Brian, and I'm new, and we're in Bloomington, Faith Lutheran Church, blah, blah, blah. And God has given us a vision to plant 1,000 churches over the next 40 years. How many of you guys want to join us? Have you ever said something and people look at you like you've got like seven eyes and horns coming out of your head? And I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. It, it, it's as if I was sweet, speaking Swahili in that moment. It was the craziest thing because we Lutherans, we don't oftentimes talk about church planning and doing this. Well, we'll talk about making disciples, but planning churches. Okay. That's weird planning a thousand churches in 40 years, you're off your rocker, right? Who do you think you are? And so we just said, we don't know how to do it. We're going to pray about it. We're just going to look and see where the Holy Spirit is moving. And we're just going to move in that direction. So the first church, I started getting phone calls. A group of disciples in Atlanta, Georgia, a remnant of Jesus followers called me up and said, hey, we need help. There's a group of us gathering together. We are spiritually without a church. We are Jesus followers. We just don't have a church. And so we walked alongside this remnant of faithful people and we encouraged them and we prayed with them and we did lots of coaching with them and pretty soon they said, we think we're ready to establish a formal church. Would you come and preach our first sermon, our first worship service? So some of you might remember Tim Moore and I flew to Atlanta, Georgia, and we were part of the very first service. And I got to preach the very first sermon uh, at uh, St. Martin Lutheran Church. This past week, I was actually in, uh, in Atlanta, hanging out with that group again. And their church is growing. It's blossoming it's flourishing, and they wanted me to be sure to tell you all, thank you. Thank you for the ways in which several years ago, you all, we poured into that congregation. They are so strong. They are vibrant, and they are making disciples, growing disciples in Atlanta, Georgia. So we just kept praying. We're like, this is, I guess this is how it works. We just pray, and God will open the doors. And pretty soon, I'm having conversation with Dan and Dawn Hall. Now, it was, we're just entering into the season of COVID, the spring of 2020. And Dan and Dawn and I are talking about, gosh, how can we do this? How can we make disciples and plant churches? And they said, you know, during our ministry in Albania, we've been inviting people to come into the city where they can be a part of the church. They said, we, we, we think we've got it figured out. We're doing it wrong. We not, uh, no longer need to invite people to come into the city. We need to go out to the villages. And so they began gathering together a group of leaders, Albanian leaders, to go out to the villages. And some of you met uh, Denise and Ayla a couple weeks ago. As they talked about this journey. They're 27 years old. And they're planning a church in rural Albania. And we are walking alongside them, encouraging them, praying with them, coaching them, and just inviting them to to walk and and, and be together uh, in this journey. The third church um, we uh, planted, um, again, many of you were here. It was in the spring of 2020. The very last service live in person, Kendall Oliver came and stood here among us. He had never preached a sermon before, but he and Emily had been inviting a group of uh, people to come to their house for a Bible study. They said, gosh, guys, I think you need to pray about planting a church. They're like, ah, we've got this Bible study thing going. I know, it's awesome. I wonder if the Holy Spirit is moving among you. And so Kendall stood here, he preached his very first sermon. And as he and Emily tell me, as they were driving back to Decatur, it was, became crystal clear to them that God was calling them to plant a church in Decatur, Covenant Reformed Baptist Church. About a year later, they call me up. Hey, Brian, we're ready to start this church. Would you come down to Decatur and preach the very first sermon of our, of our congregation? And some of you guys went, and I tell you what, it was the weirdest sermon I think I've ever preached because I stood in front of these people that I didn't know, and I said, guys, I am so excited for you today because we planted a church in Bloomington, and you guys have planted a church here in Decatur, and I want you to consider planting other churches beyond, and they just kind of looked at me again, seven eyes, four horns, all that stuff. They're just like, we're just trying to get together here, you know, uh, just like, are you kidding me? And every month, I'm having a Zoom conversation with Kendall and Emily, just checking in, praying with them. Three weeks ago, I was talking with them. They, 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 Kendall shared with me, Brian, we have had two baptisms this year. These are prodigal son stories, people who are running far from God, and they've come back, and they've been baptized in our congregation. They are growing. They are thriving And every time I talk to Kendall and Emily, they're like, please tell the people of Faith Lutheran Church, thank you for pouring into us. Thank you for supporting us along this journey. Many of you also know the story of Cana Lutheran Church over in Washington, Illinois. Again, phone call. Hey, we're a group of disciples of Jesus Christ. We are without a church. We need help. What can we do? And several of us started walking alongside them for six, then nine months. And they began to get together. And then one day, hey, Brian, we're ready to start the church. We're ready for our first worship service. Would you come over, bring a group of people from faith and preach the very first sermon at Cana Lutheran Church in Washington, Illinois? Over and over, God continues to show up and use you, use us as a congregation to do something that we had no idea that we could ever be a part of. And then the last church that we've been supporting in church planning is, is the Salt Company, of course, right here on the ISU campus. I didn't get to preach the first sermon over there. They already had a pastor that meals to just, To be encouraged and strengthened. And I continue to meet with their pastor, Daniel. Uh, What's going on? How can we pray for you? I talk to other churches. They can't believe that another church, right in our week, just who does this? Faith Lutheran Church, you guys are planning model of what God has given us, this vision of a thousand churches over 40 years. Just a couple years ago, it would have been like, I have no idea how we're going to do that. And then one after another, God continues to open doors and show us ways in which he's going to use us, again, in very unique and different circumstances every single time. About six months ago, I got a call from a pastor in Texas. He said, hey, we hear you're the church that plants churches. We've got a gathering next summer of 300 pastors. Would you come and be our keynote speaker and teach us how to plant churches? I'm like, I have no idea how to plant churches. I don't. I said, but I'm happy to come and share my story of how the Holy Spirit is moving in our midst and what God is doing through our congregation. And I want to be very clear, Brian is not planting any churches. This is the work of Faith Lutheran Church. They are 100% in this. We do this together. They do, we do what we do so that you can send me to go and coach and mentor and work with these other pastors and lay leaders uh, in our community um, and, and, and frankly, around the United States. I mean, you gotta know this is, this is who we are as a church. We grow disciples and we plant churches. One of the reasons why I'm so glad that Chris and Sarah are here is that Chris and Sarah have planted a church. They know what it's like to be on the front lines and, and to face the hardships and the challenges of all the, the chaos of the startup and, and the dynamics of it all. Most pastors don't. So I'm just so thrilled that God has brought you guys here to be with us. Final story. Three weeks ago, a phone call from Kendall. We're doing our regular monthly check-in, how things are going. And I could tell something was a little bit different. Something was a little off. And so as we went through kind of all our normal check-in stuff, he got really kind of quiet. And then he got emotional. He said, Brian, we've been meeting together now as a church for two years. And something crazy has really happened. I've got a friend His name is Luke, and God has called him to plant a church, but he doesn't have a sponsoring congregation. He said, Brian, we're praying now at Covenant Reform Baptist Church to be a church planter for that new congregation. Let that sink in for just a moment, folks. We've been pouring into these five congregations and now one of those congregations is discerning a call to plant another church. That's grandbabies. Amen. That's really exciting. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God moving. That's the story of Tabitha. She, is being, she was faithful at what God called her to do and to be about as an entrepreneur. But God is the one who does the work. And so as we continue on this journey of making disciples and planting churches, We have got to continue to be faithful, to continue to take risks, continue to step out of our comfort zones, continue to look to the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. And above all, we have to continue to be in prayer. Lord, lead us. We don't know what we're doing, but we believe that you are the God who can bring the dead back to life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you take obscure people with remarkable gifts and you use them for your purposes, for your glory, for your honor, so that future generations might know you. So God, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what the next step is in our journey I don't know where you're calling us, God, to plant the next church, but we know that you've just called us to be faithful. And so, Lord, keep us humble and keep us open as we serve you and we serve in this world. Lord, have mercy. Hear our prayer.